I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. You can walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. I always like to keep a little eye on the Irish players after a major championship just to see how they readjust to the day-to-day life of club football after a major championship. In the case of Shane Duffy, who forced his way into Martin O'Neill's team only to be sent off for chopping down Antoine Griezmann and Leon. I think Duffy probably would have been happy enough with a quiet, uneventful first couple of games. Uneventful, though, Ken, is not the way to describe it, unfortunately. Oh, Murph and Ken here at the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hi, guys. Hello. I honour you. Blackburn defender Shane Duffy scored two own goals in six first half minutes last night before being sent off in the Sky Championship's bottom club's, uh, club's defeat at Cardiff 2-1. Duffy also scored an own goal at Wigan on Saturday, meaning he had put the ball past Blackburn goalkeeper Jason Steele three times in less than an hour's football to become the championship's joined top scorer. Yeah. His misery is complete when he sent off in the dying seconds. The frustrated Republic of Ireland defender receiving a second yellow card for kicking the ball away. He also turned down a new contract offer uh, before the game in which he scored two own goals. Uh, really? I didn't know about that detail. <laughs> oh, no. So I he's, love Shane Duffy. He's not Mr. Popular at, uh, I think he's Blackburn right now. Uh, and I, I don't know if you've seen the goals, the own goals. No. Oh, no, I haven't. No, I can't bring myself to watch them. Okay. Oh, two predatory finishes, Owen. Two absolutely predatory finishes. Um, first one was, uh, I would say... I was hoping maybe that there might be deflections, you know? A deflected on goal. I mean, you know, what are you going to do? Well, here's the defender getting in the way. Owen, do you want, I'm going to play them for you now. Yeah, play do, them for me now. Do you want yeah, to talk, okay, your, I'll go through talk, the your, way, talk your way Well, currently I'm watching uh, Sky Sports News from last night so, <laughs> it's hard to say what that guy's saying on mute uh, maybe we'll get to the goals eventually uh, yeah maybe that's not the actual goals I have seen these goals on okay I'm going to have to I'm going to have to describe them I'm going to have to describe them for you uh, the first one there's a ball that comes uh, into the box the goalkeeper saves it uh, parries it to the feet oh good it's fallen the, oftentimes those parries fall to the feet of a of an onrushing striker mm-hmm. but luckily in this occasion it's fallen to the feet of oh what's he got Shane Duffy lasers the ball low and hard 
past the goalkeeper, the stranded goalkeeper into the corner. Oh, I've got it here. <laughs> You've yes. seen it? Yeah. yeah. Second one, uh, free kick, uh, swung into the box from a, di- a diag, swung into the box, planted into the bottom corner by Shane Duffy, like a fierce downward header into the corner. Not like one of those sort of, oh, it's it's come off my head at a slightly awkward angle and has, and has kind of diverted the path of the ball and it's flown in the far top corner. No, this was like a boom. A textbook header. It's a, actually a textbook downward header. Tony Cascarino getting on the end of a ball at the, at the new den and nailing it in. That Sheringham Cascarino partnership, the terrified uh, Division Two, as it then was. Huh? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, not great. But uh, these things happen. And. He moves on. With any luck, he moves on to a different club. <laughs> <laughs> because. Uh, these things are also remembered. Frustration for Duffy. Frustration for Dundalk manager Stephen Kenny last night after a handball decision given against his team set them on their way to a 2-0 defeat against Legia Warsaw in the last qualifying round for the Champions League. You can't give big decisions that, with such huge ramifications on a whim like that. You know, It's really poor from the referee. I'm not happy with that decision at all. Really, really poor. I'm really annoyed at that. That cost the game. It cost us the game. You know, because we were well in control of the game, that huge shift in the game gave them a massive surge in confidence. They went on and dominated for the next 15 minutes till we got we got back. At, you know, we got got our uh, control back on the game. You know, we finished in the, the following 15, 20 minutes. We were very strong, but for that, for, but that, that was such a critical moment in the game, and it is certainly not a deliberate handball. His hand is not in a natural position. So tell me in the rules where it is a penalty. It isn't. So I'm very disappointed. I'm liking this new policy of Irish sports people to just come out and say it. Yeah. There's no point, you know. It's not quite Mick Conlon, no, it's a much more polite, less uh, accusatory <laughs> interview than Mick Conlon's <laughs> interview. Nevertheless, he was he got pretty animated there and he was ready for it as well. It wasn't as though sometimes people say, Oh, it's unfair to ask managers this and actually nobody really says that, but you mm. know, you can see Managers love talking about managers, penalty, yeah, he, unjust he, penalty decisions. He was waiting for the question and he got it and then he started getting pretty annoyed. Did he have a point? I I think he did have a point, although I've seen these types of penalties given and not given. For those uh, who weren't watching last night, can you maybe describe? Uh, the it was the situation was uh, Leggy got the ball forward. Um, it was Nikolic uh, had the ball sort of at the byline, cut it back. Yeah, he went around the keeper and took it. A, it looked like he had an easy enough finish, but he took it a bit too far and then had to cut it back. Cut it back to cut it back to Langale, who had a shot which may or may not have been going in at the near post. I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I mean, it, it was. was actually, yeah. yeah, I think it, I think it was an on-target shot, um, and Boyle, Andy Boyle, uh, kind of you know dived in the way that a defender does to try and block uh, a shot at close range, and the ball essentially hit his elbow, which was behind. You know, his he kind of dived for it, and his elbow was was there, and the ball hit his elbow and deflected wide. Mm-hmm. Referee gave the penalty. So, is it a fair decision? Well. Uh, you know, Kenny made the point that uh, you know he they, they'd been at some seminar uh, earlier on the season where the referee had explained that pretty much that type of situation is not a penalty. You know, where the defender kind of the defender's arm isn't. It's not like the defender's arm is sort of outstretched. I don't like the phrase in a not in a natural position. Any position for an arm is a natural position as long as the arm 
hasn't been horribly dislocated in some way. You know, they're all natural. Yeah, yeah. They're all it, natural. It's positions. a phrase that's crept in over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like extended in a deliberate attempt to to block the ball. You know what I mean? And that that is the case. You know, he couldn't even see his own arm. His head was sort of the other direction. You know, obviously he he has a rough idea where his where his arm is. I mean, it's where it usually is. He can feel it. Uh, he doesn't know that the ball's going to hit it. It does, though, and and doesn't go in maybe as a result of that. Is that a handball? <sighs> I can see, you know, if it was a last-minute situation at the other end with a goal to, you know, say say it was an away goal in Warsaw with 30 million euros riding on it and the ball <laughs> was blocked by a leggy defender. I could see, you know... We might be calling for it over I could see yeah. that. You know, I can understand, on the one hand, that that they... Uh, that, that Dundalk thought it was a harsh decision, but I've also seen... I mean, last season, what was it? Um, it didn't Raheem Sterling concede a penalty against Tottenham for Man, Man City, which was crazy? I mean, it was, mm. it was like out of the corner of the box. You know, again, he turned, the ball sort of hit his elbow again, penalty. You know, it's like... It's ra- it's it's random. I mean, this is just this is what you get with human referees in football. Michael O'Neill in on TV analysis compared it to the Boateng handball in the World Cup, which was given. Uh, do you remember the one? Was it Boateng? Yeah, there, there was, yeah, two, there was a couple of arm, Germany. Ha- there was yeah, a couple the, of handballs. His arms kind of above his, his head, and the the ball hit his arms, and a penalty was given. Michael O'Neill felt it was a penalty. Kenny mm. Kenny Cunningham and Richie Sadler both felt it very much wasn't. In fairness, Michael O'Neill did turn to them and say, lads, it's hard to take you seriously with that panda head and pink panther head on. So <laughs> I think I'm probably, I've got the moral high ground here. You guys sit this one out. It is, you know, it's it's one of those things, how you feel about it largely depends on whether it happens to you or the other team <laughs> and how, how significant the damage is. Uh, Very significant in this case. Yeah, I mean, they did then concede the late goal at the very end. Maybe they don't concede that if they're not trying to chase the game to to the extent that they were. Mm. But, you know, um, the player who scored the, the goal, Prijevic, was a substitute. You know, this is the difference, really. I mean, this is what... I was sitting there watching this thinking, this game is close, you know what I mean? Like, Leggy Warsaw don't look any better, really. Maybe, maybe they're not... Maybe they're, they're still early in their season. They haven't really got up to speed, you know. Um, but it doesn't look like there's a big gap in quality here. If this team, like Warsaw, could be in the Champions League group station, why shouldn't Dundalk be in it? You know, there's not really that much difference. Then they got the penalty, and the penalty was obviously unlucky. Um, but then there was that goal in the last minute, to, which probably kills the tie. You know, I mean, 2-0 two, two at home is very, very difficult result for anyone to overturn. Um, and maybe that's... You know, that shows the kind of difference. I mean, what Leggy Warsaw are about a 40 million turnover club. They uh, can afford, they have got a guy on the bench who's got, it was a good goal. You know, the guy gets through, it's a nicely timed run. He gets there, he finishes off really deftly. A quality player. Would he be playing for Dundalk if he, if he was on Dundalk's books? Would he be in their first team? Probably. He wouldn't be, you know, they don't have players of that quality on the bench, which is, that, that ultimately is going to make the difference. Uh, the, the higher you go, the more sort of quality your opponents have that they come up against. But in terms of the first 11s, I thought that this this was actually really even. The, the game itself was interesting to be at as a, as an occasion. Yeah, what was it? Yeah, because we don't have them too often. I mean, everyone's comparing to say Shells in 2004. Deportivo, four, I think, I think yeah. It was, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a really good crowd. It, I don't know what it looked like on TV. I get the impression it might not have looked that good. Well, at least I got a couple of messages from people saying, well, why is the crowd so low? And I have to tell them that 
the crowd isn't the crowd is actually pretty good. There's about thirty thousand people here. It's like the the it's just that the middle tier is closed. It's like the premium tier, the middle tier at the Aviva. And there were delays getting in for quite a few people apparently as well. For yeah, very, for various reasons. So it looked with say ten minutes ago before kickoff. Where's the crowd? And everyone did actually eventually. Yeah, that's, pe- a, that's a really good crowd for a gay, for a club who normally it's an get a, get a hardcore crowd. support of a, of a few thousand when things are going well. To have how many did you say thirty odd thousand yeah, people watching I think, them? I think when you see the premium level completely empty, you just presume that everything above that is also empty. Yeah, which is but it was what, which, full. Wasn't the, which wasn't the case at all. So, yeah. so the so the top and bottom tiers were full, and it was a really good uh, crowd, although a really quiet one, because the crowd didn't know how to support Dundalk. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like this is this crowd is ten times the size of the crowd Dundalk usually get, which means that most of those people don't regularly go to see Dundalk, and nobody knew what to sing. It's like, what are the songs? You know, come on, Dundalk, we all want you to win. At the same time, we're not really it's a sure. Feeling. It's not we're, a chance. We're not though. quite sure how to get by. And, you know, because because people, let's what should we call them, bar stoolers, uh, day trippers, or bandwagoners? Bandwagoners seems to be the most common description. Because these bandwagoners, uh, you know, are mostly, mostly know how to read and listen to the radio. They know. They know that the... Regulars have got mixed feelings. <laughs> they they know that they have got slightly mixed feelings about the bandwangers, or should I call them bar stoolers? Well, they're not bar stoolers if they're in the stadium, right? But potential new customers? No, <laughs> we not call them that. Instead? We don't. We don't say customers. We don't say customers because that's not that's not this. For instance, uh, there was a piece by Ed Power in the Independent yesterday. Uh, why League of Ireland diehards loathe the sound of the bandwagon now approaching Dundalk. Uh, and it's a kind of piece, you know, you, you, we're all familiar with, the, with this type of thought. I mean, it's, I suppose it can be summed up. Um, what is the, I'd say this is, this is kind of the core of it. Suddenly those who have had a merry time sneering and rolling their eyes at the league or connoisseurs that they are refusing to even acknowledge its existence are all on board Team Dundalk. And it fills us with unease. They're welcome, of course. But our delight that they're finally showing up is tempered by the knowledge that they probably won't hang around once the spotlight has faded. Now, that is true. Uh, you know, it's unlikely that the crowds are going to be... They're probably going to be closer to 3,000 than 30,000 for Dundalk. That's, that's, course, that's, yeah. that's entirely true. And whether you blame people for that, I'm not sure. I mean, people are attracted by the bright lights of the Champions League, you know, like, like moths or whatever. That's... I think that's fair enough as well. If I think we've seen that if an Irish club did get into the group stages of the Champions League or if there was regular you know, Champions League football here, it would pull big crowds. People would go and see that. That's true. But I mean, that it fills us with the knees. They're welcome, of course. It's, it's kind of the, amb- the ambivalent attitude. You're, a, you're a, uh, uh, someone who's serious about the League of Ireland. You're, you're there. And suddenly all these, you know, Johnny-come-latelys are in there trying to trying to hop on board. Well, you're kind of like, well, I'm not sure. And I, I honestly feel that all of the, 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 uh, those people knew, knew, exactly, knew exactly how they were being received and were really nervously and politely trying not to, you know, <laughs> trying not to offend anyone. But isn't that ridiculous? To- I mean, why would, you make, why would you make an occasion like last night Unwelcome in any way for well, someone I'm, who had who's showing a new interest in well, I'm not saying your right. sport or your league or your division or whatever. The, yeah, I mean, I, that, however the, you want to splice. 
that. Well, who, who are you accusing of doing that? I mean, I, I've, I've just been reading one article which is kind of articulating this viewpoint. I mean, I certainly didn't see evidence that any Dundalk supporters were... <laughs> although, actually, I did. One of the other journalists said he just got a text message from a friend of his who was coming into the game who overheard someone saying, it's a disgrace to so many people here. <laughs> but I don't think the point... No, of that's the, a third-hand story. That's a third-hand story. I don't think the point of the article you read out was that pe- these fans are unwelcome. The point was, uh, it, w- it would be very welcome if some of them showed some level of interest in the league yeah, at another I mean, point of the is, year. This is kind of crazy, though. I mean, if you look at Gaelic football, Kerry play, or if Kerry play in the Ireland final on... Uh, the third Sunday in September, there's going to be 83,000 people there and 40,000 of them or 30,000 of them will be from Kerry. Kerry are going to play, if they win that, they're going to play as All-Ireland champions against Monaghan in Castle Blaney or Clonus or wherever in the first round of the league and there's going to be 1,500 people there or 2,000 people there or 6,000 people there. Yeah. I mean, no one's scratching their heads thinking... You know, where are the real fans now? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. What, what the hell's going on? Like, all these glory well, hunting. We don't, we don't want to see you. Anyone who, anyone who was at the Iron Final but is not here in Clonus on the 3rd of February, don't come, don't come knocking to me. Yeah, well, we don't yeah, want to yeah. see you in, uh, in September. The Iron Final would be a much better event if there were just 6,000 people there. <laughs> well, I have to say, right, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm just reading from Ed Power's article, and I don't mean to you know, pick on Ed Power, it's just this articulates a point of view. Now, I certainly but I mean, s- I think he articulates a point of view that you can, it's not that... It's he's not, not, the, that he's not the only person I've heard, he's not the only person I've heard saying this. And I didn't see any evidence, certainly, that any Dundalk supporters last night were making, were, you know, were kind of... Uh, Booing people as they took their <laughs> No, reality. absolutely not. Absolutely not. They were just, just supporting uh, Dundalk. Um... But, you know, uh, say, for instance, as a person said, we're glad to have you with the proviso you're here to cheer, not scoff or applaud sarcastically or suggest clearing off 10 minutes into the second half for pints. The scoffers, I fear, will be present in numbers at the Viva. Didn't hear any scoffing. Didn't hear much of anything apart from Polish ultras uh, chanting uh, Legia chants uh, because, again, just of the of the uh, the polite ignorance. Like, you know, you were... Uh, you were invited to dinner, uh, but you know you were you were a traveller in an antique land, and you were invited to dinner. It's uh, you know with some uh, strange tribe, uh, and you were un- unaware of any of their dinner table customs. I'm sorry, where's my chair? <laughs> yeah, but you're desperately trying not to put a foot wrong. Everyone knows you can't sing the fields of Athenry or come on, you boys in green doesn't work. Uh, what other songs do we have? You know what I mean? There just isn't the culture. So maybe what what needs to happen if this ever happens again. I mean, which hopefully it will, because you could see that on the field the gap wasn't really that big. Uh, is that these fans, these new people, need to be educated? They need some basic help. They need to be instructed in some two or three songs, which is acceptable to join in and sing. Because otherwise, you, we're going to have the biggest, quietest crowds watching football anywhere in Europe. Okay, we have our Pat Hickey. What was it called yesterday? He's got a ticket to Hyde podcast out now. That's been out since yesterday evening. If you haven't had a chance to listen. Well, go and listen, I suppose. We'll talk about any developments in that story in our Olympics podcast today. Thomas Barr is racing the 400 metres final this afternoon at four o'clock. So I don't know what time you're listening to this, but we'll have a podcast out shortly after Thomas Barr wins gold in the 400 metre hurdles. There, I've said it. Report on sport, Ken. So we're going to talk um, a little later to Gabriel Marcotti about the Guardiola-Joe Hart situation. Guardiola seems to be... Uh, seems to have indicated to Joe Hart that... If he wanted to find a new club, I don't know, that could happen. If he wants to sit in the bench, it's also okay. It's not like he's going to dock his pay. But um, he may maybe isn't going to use him much as goalkeeper. 
Uh, and Manchester City are uh, supposedly trying to sign Claudio Bravo from Barcelona. I, in fact, misidentified this as Ter Stegen, the other Barcelona goalkeeper, the other day. For which I apologise. Uh, it's never an easy word to say. I do apologise. That's all right. You might as well get the first if apology. If anyone was early. offended, then I apologise. If Ter Stegen, apology, apology. If anyone was offended by, by and that. Of course. I apologize. Um, Some of my best friends are Ter Stegens. <laughs> well, uh, but Bravo is the Bravo is in fact the Barcelona goalkeeper they want. But you know it's a slightly complicated deal. Barcelona need to sell before they buy, buy before they sell. You know, uh, not that much longer left in the transfer window. So hopefully for Guardiola's sake they get that sorted. Uh, I'm sure they'll be able to sort something. This is Manchester City we're talking about. There were statistical comparisons uh, going around of uh, of Bravo versus Hart. In terms of kicking ability, possibly given that this seems to be the problem with Hart, he doesn't he's not good enough at that part of the game. Um, for instance, that while Joe Hart's long pass completion is thirty four percent and fifty two percent overall, Bravo's is fifty two percent and eighty four percent overall. <sighs> Sounds great, but is in fact totally meaningless. <laughs> this statistic means nothing uh, unless you've got an indication of what proportion of their passes overall went long. I mean, if Claudio Bravo plays two long passes all season and finds the target with one of them, and Joe Hart plays 100 and finds the target with 30 of them, who's better at long passing, really? It's hard to really say. You know what I mean? And similarly, if uh, Bravo's passes are all very short to defenders, uh, and Joe Hart's are mainly long to guys in midfield, uh, and Bravo has a higher pass completion, then who's better at completing passes really it's difficult to say based on that information what we have here on is a case where we don't have enough information to tell you the listener the answer you can be intuitive though uh, you know Ken you can keep your money ball stats <laughs> you can look at a guy and know if he's good at kicking a ball or not yeah you can yeah. You I can. think on this on this, in, on this occasion Owen might have a point and he's not that stats. good is he Joe Hart he's not really that You're good a football at football and to be honest has never really impressed me hugely as a goalkeeper in the in the basic way of goalkeeping. The the way that we grew up with goalkeeping, where a goalkeeper was a muddy man who rolled around in the dirt, often fatter than the other players on the team, and you know was able to bravely dive at the feet of onrushing forwards, always catching a ball, never punching away. Mm. Yeah, and that and that was and even in that sense, I I kind of find as though Joe Hart sort of gets beaten at his near post by a lot of long shots. He is has a demeanor. Uh, and sort of bravado, which is out of keeping with his ability. That's actually the thing that I dislike about Jared. I and mean, that's a purely that's that's a purely personal uh, issue and a matter of taste, which has no real bearing on his technical ability. But I just kind of always thought, Joe Hart, who do you seriously think you are? Yeah. So for that reason, I don't find the sympathy flowing that huge. I can I kind of think if Guardiola comes into the club. And he's not, he doesn't have the power to make these kinds of basic decisions about how his team's going to look. What's the point of hiring him? You know what I mean? If he, if he thinks Joe Hart isn't good enough for his team, doesn't suit the style of football, then he's right to get rid of him he now. Se- he seems to be pretty professional about it as well, as far as we know. I don't see that he's in any way demeaned Joe Hart or undermined him. But in fairness, people do get really wound up. Uh, it, it's an obvious enough reaction when it's an English player, when it's a, an, a big English player like that. Even Danny Welbeck... You know, not a great striker by any means. When he was allowed to leave Manchester United, it was seen as essentially a microcosm, the failing of the club in microcosm. We've let a young English player leave. Mm. Therefore, this foreign, now foreign-owned club has gone to the dogs. 
and that can be it's it, that's that can be an understandable reaction yeah. in an emo, on an emotional level, but I don't think it's actually makes a huge, huge amount of sense intellectually. Yeah, uh, but, but the one thing about uh, the Guardiola heart thing is, is that loads of people just presume that uh, that this you know that there was an excellent chance this was going to happen anyway. I mean, it's not like it's come like a complete bolt from the blue for us. So I presume it can't have come for, like a complete bolt from the blue for Joe Hart either. Yeah. So I mean. Well, you don't know because, you know, I mean, this is what this has always been one of the things with Guardiola. This is a problem that Zlatan had with him, this, this kind of interpersonal coldness. Um, sometimes he can be a little cold and it can it can make people angry. And maybe that's going on here. But anyway, uh, the other thing we're going to talk about is uh, Jurgen Klopp, uh, who's been speaking to Stern magazine back in Germany. Uh, did a big interview with him about, you know, how he's finding life in England. He's been there nearly a year now. Um, first of all, they were amazed that uh, he was given a six-year contract. They were like, what the hell is all that about? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I asked my agent, and he, he, I was like, what's going on here? And the agent said, I don't know. But it seems like they really like you anyway. Um, so I just thought, okay, is there anywhere else I want to work? Not, is there anything, what, not what do I want to win, but where do I want to work? Is there any other place? And I decided, no. So, okay, I'll sign a six-year contract. I did ask my wife if she said, now we're only going to stay here for two years, then I wouldn't have signed up. But she said, no, no, this is fine. I like it here, so yeah, let's do it. And he also kind of talked in about how the fact that he's doing more than being the... There was a piece by Simon Cooper the other week where he, where he was talking about the outsized profile of managers, how they, they actually matter less than ever before. You've got all these new staff and football clubs who actually do all the jobs that the manager used to do, and the only total manager left is Arsene Wenger. Well, it sounds by Klopp's own account so that's what he is now at Liverpool like he's you know kind of looking uh, you know in charge of the youth academy not in charge of the youth academy necessarily but he takes a very active role and interest in it yeah yeah uh, the Stern then say that there's this hilarious German idea of what English people are like which is kind of a uh, it seems to be from a sort of PG Woodhouse world like um a long vanished vision of England, like some brideshead revisited type of aristocratic England, where they're like, D- you know, d- didn't you worry that you would be maybe a little too direct, too rude for the English, the famously, famously polite? <laughs> you know, this is what they think English people are like. Uh, and he's like, no, no, I talked about going interrailing there when he was 18. And even then he thought, you know, I could live here, even though the weather isn't that good. Um, but what? So he talked about the cultural differences. You know, what are the funny things you've noticed? He said, well, you know, I was at Wimbledon, people were wearing hats. I was like, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the Grand National, the biggest horse race in the world, that's around the corner from here, where we're sitting. You know, in Germany, we make a big uh, fuss when horses fall, you know, plunge. Um, in England, they don't care at all. Uh, mint in food, what's that all about? <laughs> really? And then, God, uh, is he pitching a sitcom here or doing an interview? <laughs> and then when they, Liverpool played in Augsburg recently at a European... Was the European game or friendly? I can't bloody remember actually. No, it was, it was last. It was last season European game, uh, and they served us uh, ham hot, like Schweinshaxe, which is like one of these big lumps of pork that you get in Germany. At a, mm. you know, you buy the, get them in beer gardens. You think you had one? You? I did. I ordered it for breakfast one morning, and my, I was presented <laughs> with like half a ham. My my half people, a pig, my people thought they were being served with children's heads. <laughs> Club said. Uh, but you know, if the English thought the Germans were those people who came along and snatched the the sunbeds with the beach with the towel, now they know that there are also Germans like me, guys who just lie on a towel, guys who just put the towel down and just lie on that. <laughs> you know, like chilled out guys. Uh, I've learned uh, I have to curb my swearing. He says I can't say shit so often. 
Uh, in Germany, I've quite often used the great word guile. Guile kind of means sexy in Germany. But here, horny, you can't really get away with saying. Um, you, I suppose you can't. I suppose, although... Van Hal Van Hal said did it, do and that. the British press thought this was the funniest thing. I say British; the worldwide press said that this is the, thought this is the funniest thing that had ever been said. <laughs> Horny, and he looked at who was next to him, Chris Smalling or something. Yeah, what do you think? Um, but he says, you know, he's trying to watch. Uh, he says that uh, the way people listen to football managers makes me doubt the intelligence of the human species. Um, he met uh, uh, one of the world's best brain surgeons in New York. This guy is like, you know has got 80% more brain than I do. In his brain, there's like 80% more of the lights on or something, he says. Uh, and he sees me and he starts gibbering and, st and stammering and can't speak because, you know, he's a big football fan and he's like, oh my God, it's Jurgen Klopp. And I'm like, this is this is amazing. Um, but the, the the thing that I'm interested in is what is Jose Mourinho going to say when he hears about the rest of this interview? Because he's already had a few things to say about Klopp uh, uh, criticizing the approach of of Manchester United so far in the transfer market buying, you know, spending all this money. Mm, so eventually they got they got onto uh, that sort of question. Oh, in England, there's all this crazy money. What's going on with all that? And Klopp's like, uh, he's, he's, he's like, why don't, they're like, why don't you, you've also got loads of money. Why don't you spoil your fans with like an occasional mega transfer, you know, get, get everyone excited. People love that stuff. And he says, because it's no fun and it makes no sense. We want to choose the other way. Uh, Man City have signed Pep Guardiola. Then they bring Gundogan, Leroy Sané. Now even John Stones for 55 million euros, maybe more, um, for more than 200 million euros altogether. Jose Mourinho buys Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Henrik Mkhitaryan, Paul Pogba. You can join in, of course. You can fight for the same player. You want to pay 105 million? Fine, we've got 140 million. But that would be sick. That would be sick. The idea is to create an atmosphere that allows permanent success. Uh, so basically he's saying, we're going to do this. And on top, even then you've got the risk that one, uh, what if the Sheikh can't be bothered anymore? You could have built a youth academy with that money. You could have built a stand with the money. So, uh, and they say, yeah, but no, like no one cares about that stuff. No, that bores everyone. And he said, sure, yeah, no one is interested. And therefore, that's why for this approach, you need strength of character. So that's another difference. Wow. That's yeah, another yeah, difference yeah. with the big spenders. You need strength of character for this approach. Um so, uh, you know, everything else is driving the price spiral where it's crazy. Talks a bit about uh, money and football and how it moves around the game. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but uh, he, he does have one other thing about... Two, two things I just want to mention. Uh, he says that we actually still believe in such a thing as training. Like, I, as opposed to just buying players. Uh, and we're hoping this will help us this season. What I really like in this respect is that it rains much more in Manchester than here in Liverpool. Pep will be surprised if he wants to make a tactical unit in uh, Force 12 gales and heavy rain. Does it rain that much more in Manchester than in Liverpool? I doubt it. Also, don't Man City have like a vast indoor pitch that they do? All the <laughs> <together>? <laughs> I mean? Yeah, they literally don't need to feel wind yeah. uh, at any time. But I think it's just a little gag. But the last uh, subject they put to him is actually a uh, serious one, Owen. It's Brexit. You know, Arsene Wenger has said that the, the English are maybe going to throw away their position at the, in the lead of the European leagues with this Brexit vote, this crazy Brexit vote. What do you think? And he said, well, basically, I think it's, cra I think it's crazy that you asked me to talk about this in connection with football, because football is such a minor issue compared to this. Uh, he says, uh, everyone's been talking about this. The whole country currently does not know what just happened to it and what is going to happen. What it means for the Premier League doesn't matter. 
I can tell you that no one I've met here in Liverpool has voted for Leave, not a single person. Uh, what has been disseminated by the uh, referendum, by the Leave side, uh, has been uh, misinformation on a massive scale, absolute madness. I believe, however, when the same vote, if the same vote was held in Germany with the same misinformation being put about, then we would have got the same result. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, Klapo anyway. I'm, I look forward to Jose uh, getting the translation. Klapo in good form, indeed. That's it for Kennedy's report on sport. I knew the place. Clough, that he calls me Rabbi, didn't know them. He said to me, what can you do that the boss hasn't done? You the boss. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. But there's no way to win it better. Why there's not? Only, no, 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 no. But that's the only hope we're, I've got. We're only, we're only lost four matches. Then. But that, well, I can only lose three. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. Calls me Ravi. Now that might that might be you know aiming for utopia, and it might be might mean being a little bit stupid, but that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Spurs have their first home game of the season on Saturday against Crystal Palace after opening up with that draw at Everton last weekend. There's probably still a little bit of anger to get out of their system after the late collapse last season. The independence Jack Pitbrook is going to chat to us about this. Jack Maurizio Pochettino uh, said a few days ago, I wanted to kill all of them and I wanted to kill myself too. I told them that. I just said, if I had the opportunity to kill you, then I would have killed everyone. Sounds like he took last season well. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this was in part a way of getting closure for just how badly last year went. I mean, everyone talks about the you know the West Brom game where they lost the title and the Chelsea game where it all collapsed. But I think the Newcastle defeat, the 5-1 five, five against 10-man, relegated 10-man Newcastle at St. James Park was the one that hurt Pochettino the most. Pochettino said afterwards it was his, the worst game in his career. And I think the way that Spurs just collapsed, basically, under not an awful lot of pressure from Newcastle, he kind of took as a personal affront. And pre-season this summer was the first time that he'd seen the players afterwards, because, of course, that was the last game of the season, so he didn't get to debrief afterwards. And I, I think Pochettino decided that the best way to, to move on from just how badly things went was to hammer the players as soon as they got back, tell them that it wasn't acceptable and that this year they've got to do better. Yeah, I was struck by the, the kind of really aggressive and uncompromising tone of it, but I suppose that's exactly the type of team that he wants, an aggressive and uncompromising team. Yeah, I mean, what it really speaks to is Pochettino's diagnosis of why things went wrong last year. Like, he says that they blew the title because they didn't have the maturity, didn't have the mentality to, to keep up the pressure, and that he thinks that the last... He said in his press conference last week, the last step they can make is in their heads. Like, that's the gap they've got to make up, and which explains, for example, why they haven't spent much money this summer. And thinking that if you accept that diagnosis, and I think that's kind of half true, then bollocking the players like this to hopefully raise their mental level is the right way of, of fixing that gap. Well, here's another suggestion. Uh, I wonder if Mitchell Pochettino has thought it all about this, but the fact is that Tottenham used very few players last season compared to most teams in the Premier League and ran further than any of them. Uh, that the work the players had to get through would be difficult for anyone to do. And it's no surprise they ran out of gas towards the end of the season. I mean, has Pochettino considered this or um, has it been raised yeah. at all? The fact that the style kind of 
might contain the seeds of its own destruction in a way? Exactly. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, Pochettino is very kind of amiable and chatty with the press 90% of the time. But if he's, if anyone suggests that his players are tired or that they get tired towards the end of the season, then he gets quite prickly. And I think that even Pochettino's diagnosis that last year Spurs failed at the end for mental reasons kind of obscures the fact that there were probably physical reasons as well. Like, it's shown, if you look at Pochettino teams, both at Saints and at Tottenham, that they drop off a bit towards the end of the season. And I think that Spurs' collapse last April and May was probably as much physical as mental. But he doesn't want to... I can see why he wouldn't want to admit that, because, you know, fitness is a huge part of what he does. Um, whether or not they'll be able to avoid those problems next year, I don't know. I mean, you know, they're in the Champions League. They've added two squad players in Wanyama and Janssen. But the, um, the question of whether or not they can maintain that same physical, physical intensity, which they couldn't last season, for the 38-game Premier League season, while competing on other fronts, is kind of where, where this season will stand or fall, I think. Yeah, it's very interesting that he gets prickly about those questions because <laughs> I think most of us probably get yeah. more prickly when, when people are saying things, are criticising us for, you know, things that are close to the bone and probably true. Exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, I wonder... Yeah, that's completely it. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that he signed... They've, they've only signed two players so far. Now, I assume that there, there's going to have to be more players coming in. That I mean, you know, they already had a, a small squad. You know, they're asking a lot of them. I think it would be insane... Uh, not to try to add, uh, you know, one or two more at least. But there was another um, interesting story just a few days ago. The Tottenham's um, head of recruitment. Uh, this is a guy, uh, Paul Mitchell. He was with, uh, he was at Southampton when Pochettino was there, and he was hired kind of amid a, a certain amount of fanfare a couple of years ago. Quite a young guy. Um, he came in less than two years ago. Has now announced that he's going to leave. Spurs are saying they're going to force him to work out notice and so on. But it's not a very long stint. Uh, what do you think happened there? Has there, has there been a, has there been some tension? Is Pochettino as demanding of his recruitment staff as he is of his uh, players? Yeah. Well, I think it's. I mean, I, I think the issue isn't between Mitchell and Pochettino. The issue is between Mitchell and you know other senior other senior employees at Tottenham. Um, I think that. I mean, I think it's kind of a difficult job to do at Tottenham because Tottenham as a club, and this is true from top to bottom. They're underpayers. Like they don't, they don't pay big transfer fees for players. They certainly don't pay pay much in salaries. They're, you know, almost everyone at the club, from Pochettino to Christian Eriksen to Mitchell to anyone, is frankly paid less than they would be at other teams. And if you're head of recruitment, that might make it frustrating because you might suggest players that you would like to see bought by the club, and then those buys don't happen. Um, so I think that. And I think you know one of the one of the big uh, overarching questions at Spurs is whether or not this kind of policy of underpayment will eventually come back to bite them. I mean, they they haven't since Bale and Modric, they haven't lost any players they wouldn't want to lose. But you kind of you do wonder sometimes with Deli Ali or Harry Kane if eventually a you know one of the big teams might come in with a huge salary package, which is you know, multiples beyond what Tottenham might offer, and it might eventually cause. You know, cause them a serious problem which they which they can't solve. Yeah, I mean, if the offer of Tottenham is you know to work harder and get paid less, <laughs> it's a, it's a bit like Animal Farm or something like that. You know, I mean, you could understand how 
how other players might or, or players might be tempted to look at other clubs. How do you think it's going to go this season? Like I'm asking you to stick your neck out and, and make a prediction because, you know, a manager like Pochettino, he, he who who requires his players to work so hard, he really needs them all to be with him. And last season they so clearly were. But it, it often doesn't take much for these things to go wrong. I mean, I remember Pochettino being praised for his ruthlessness last season, you know, the kind of extreme prejudice with which he terminated Andros Townsend. Uh, and there was a couple of cases like that where he was just like, right, you're gone. But a manager who's, who kind of rules with a rod of iron like that, if you excuse the awful cliche, often um, the players sometimes do, do turn on a manager. It can happen quite quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that's fair. There is there is a little bit of Mourinho about Pochettino, particularly in terms of how he talks talks about players and his attitude to players that he might be less sure about. And I, and you know, we all know what happens to Mourinho teams after three seasons. Whether it's going to happen to Pochettino, honestly, I don't know. I think that the players are still with him. I think he's kind of sufficiently human to retain their interest and motivation for another year or two. In terms of how they do, um, if they'll have to be lucky with injuries. They'll have to manage the Champions League well. It's difficult because they're kind of in a different position from almost any other team in the league in that they're three years into a, into a cycle. They have basically all the players they want. They have square pegs and square holes, and as, you know, which is, gives them an inbuilt advantage, let's say, over the, you know, the Manchester clubs and Chelsea at the very least. Um, whether they'll be able to, whether they'll be able to play like they did last year, I mean, I think they're going to rely. I think they're going to have to rely on other teams not clicking. But I do think that that kind of um, what's the right word? That the the fact that, that the fact that all their pieces are in place, that should be enough to get them over. I think they'll scrape four. I don't think they'll push this. I don't think they'll win the title, but I think they will get the top four. All right, Jack Pitt, Brooke, brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. Thanks a lot. Lad. Daniel Levy, Ken, must be a very, 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 very charming man. That's all I can say. How does he get all these talented people working for him for less than they get paid elsewhere? It goes against everything we think we know about top-level football. Well, I mean, for instance, Paul Mitchell, I'm sure, was moved to Southampton, moved from Southampton to Spurs for a pay rise. I'm sure the same happened with Pochettino. Um, it's about finding, it's about preying on clubs that pay even less than you. I mean, Spurs' best signing of recent times came from MK Dons. You know what I mean? They they, they just need to hunt at a certain level in the food chain. Uh, it is it, the difficult part is is, is holding on to the players. I mean, it's, it's what Dortmund found. You know what I mean? Dortmund had a similar type of idea in a lot of ways to Tottenham. You know, we're gonna run the legs off everyone we come up against. And after a while, players are just like, I can earn three times as much of iron. And three run times. half as much. Or in Mario Goetz's case, not even have to run. <laughs> Just sit and earn three times as much. He is back now, I suppose. But, uh, you know, that, and, and ultimately players tend to tend to go where they can get paid more for but how does he less. even? Yeah, how does he even keep Pochettino at Spurs when presumably after last season Pochettino is much in demand? Because Pochettino has to, still has to prove himself. I'm sure, yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I, don't know if I mean, Pochettino can't, Pochettino can't leave Tottenham after one... You know, well, I mean, what was he? It's two seasons now already, but he can't leave after, after one very successful season. No, because it, it doesn't mean anything. In the, in the end, they finished third. It doesn't really mean much to finish third in a season when 
you know, if you look at the, the number of points they got, it's not even that, that great for a third-place team on average. You know what I mean? It was just a season when a lot of teams played badly. He still needs to show that he, that he can really sustain that success. So, and, and, and isn't just a guy who got lucky with a good group of players. So that's, that's why I don't, think, I don't expect him to be leaving anytime soon. Gabriele Mercotti, Joey Barton has blasted Manchester City and Pep Guardiola's treatment of Joe Hart is disgusting. Do you agree? Um, well, I, I, disgusting might be might be a strong word. I, I kind of describe it as, uh, as as difficult to understand um, because, like, a, Joe Hart is a very public figure. Uh, Pep Guardiola knew in February that he was he probably knew before that that he was going to be uh, the next Manchester City manager. Manchester City have been preparing themselves uh, for Pep's coming. Uh, the club is stocked with people who are there because the club chose to embrace Pep's style of football and, and his requirements of a goalkeeper. He, they have a director of football there named Chicky Bielistein who um, who sees Joe Hart every single day. You know, it shouldn't take this long to figure out that if... It shouldn't take this long for you to decide that he doesn't fit the style of football that you want to play. If that is indeed the case, and this isn't just Pep trying to give go hard to kick up the backside, which apparently uh, it, it isn't. So that being the case, it's not just, it doesn't just hurt Joe Hart, because now he's in a situation where he could be on the bench between you know now and, and when he leaves the club. Um, it also hurts Manchester City, because if you're going to try to, to, to shift Joe Hart now, um, you know it's going to be difficult, and uh, you're going to have to do it for you know probably uh, some sort of cut-rate price. Okay, but... Uh, allowing for the fact that Chiki Bagheerstein is in there, and I'm sure Pep Guardiola trusts the man's opinion, I would also say Pep is the kind of guy who wants to see for himself exactly what's on offer there. So it's another argument that he gave it pre-season, he gave it a little while, and he came to the conclusion himself that uh, that Hart's not for him. I mean, but uh, yeah, so he went in, but the, but then then if that is the case, then I think at the very least he probably owed Joe Hart. You know, going to Joe Hart after the Euros and saying, "Look, man, I don't know that you fit what I want to do, um, but I'm going to give you a chance in preseason. Um, prove me wrong, or at least go to Joe Hart and say, look, as far as I'm concerned, you and, and Caballero are, are, you know, you guys are both competing for the starting job. You're not the number one. You know, I think on a human level, I think he would owe Joe Hart that. And look, it's entirely possible that he went and did exactly that, that he went and he said that to Joe Hart and that we just don't know because, you know, we're only getting uh, the Hart Camps version of the story. Yeah, I mean, the Hart Camps version of the story, though, doesn't... I mean, the this version of the story that we hear does seem to suggest that Joe Hart isn't too happy about this situation. I mean, it, you know, when you see him sitting on the bench with that sort of pinched expression... He doesn't look like a guy who's at peace with what's going on, as though he's had it all explained to him, you know, like a like an adult. You know, this is what this is what's going to happen, and you know, look, look, no professional footballer is going to be happy when they're sat on the bench because the bottom line from Joe Hart, whether Pep Guardiola told him before that he'd be competing for his job, uh, or whether he didn't and he just sprang it on him, you know, the bottom line is that <laughs> Joe Hart's not playing, and that you know every professional footballer wants to play, if, especially if they've been a starter for a while. So, no, you wouldn't expect Joe Hart to be happy. Also because, you know, this is the other thing here. I, supposedly, the, 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 the reason that he's not starting has to do with his kicking ability and his comfort on the ball and the supposed need of being a, you know, an Manuel Neuer, Victor Valdez-type goalkeeper. 
that's not something that Joe Hart's going to learn in the next couple of months. I think this is an important point to make as well. Uh, you know, there are skills that you can learn and you can improve, but at Joe Hart's age, you're not going to become, you know, like an additional sweeper at the back. You're not going to become comfortable on the ball. It's, it's not possible. You're not that sort of player. And I think that's what's got, what, what has to be really frustrating for him as well. Is this, do you think, uh, there's two things, there's, there's two kind of questions here. One of them is to do with the fact that Guardiola apparently doesn't really value those old school goalkeeper skills that Joe Hart makes his specialty, you know, shot stopping and all that kind of stuff. He fancies himself in that respect uh, and absolutely prioritizes the ability of the goalkeeper as a footballer with the ball at his feet. Is that, uh, you know, <laughs> do you think that's maybe a little bit extremist? Yeah, well, I think we have to be a little bit careful here. Um, you know, we, we, we reached this conclusion because he's dropped Joe Hart uh, and because his previous goalkeepers, Victor Valdez and Manuel Neuer, are both very good with their feet. In fact, I might actually say, actually, I don't know that Neuer's really that good with his feet, um, but he does he does storm off his line and get there very, very quickly and, you know, and get the ball to safely. He's got very good instincts uh, in, in that sense. Um, it's a very small sample size. It's two clubs who, who, who play in a certain way. I, I wouldn't, you know, Neuer also happens to be an absolutely outstanding short, shot stopper and, and arguably the best goalkeeper in the world or one of the top two or three. Uh, Victor Valdez at the time, you know, was also a really, really good goalkeeper. It's not like, you know, he's in the business and, and, you know, and apparently they want to sign Claudio Bravo right now, who's a really, really good goalkeeper, two-time Copa America winner. Um, obviously, uh, well, won the trouble a year ago uh, with, with Barcelona. He only played in the league. You know, it's not like he's saying, look, I'm getting rid of Joe Hart and, you know, and I'm replacing him with, with some guy who's outstanding on the ball, but, but can't keep goal. Um, I think we need to bear that in mind as well. Gabriel, I'm still a bit confused as to why anybody feels that Pep has behaved in some way dishonorably in this case. He's come in, he's decided he wants to sell a goalkeeper who doesn't suit his style. He's given him, it's still a week and a half left before the transfer window closes, uh, around about that kind of time. He can find another club. He hasn't banished him to the youth team. He hasn't embarrassed him or disgraced him or taken his squad number away or anything like that. So why are people getting so head up about it? Well, they're doing it because Joe Hart is the England goalkeeper and because he's a very popular player with a very powerful agent. I mean, I think that's like the basis of it. Um, I think there's a difference between saying what Pep has done is unusual because I don't think it's in Manchester City's interest to do this because if you don't like Joe Hart, um, you know, your best interest is to move him at the start of the summer. Um, but to say it's dishonorable, no, I don't think it is dishonorable. It's only dishonorable, I think, if Pep somehow lied to, to Joe Hart or to or to, or to Joe Hart's people at some point. Um, if after he was appointed, you know, we know that he started evaluating his squad and he would have been in touch with the players and their agents or certainly via Bagiri Stein. If at some point they were all led to believe, oh yeah, Joe, you don't have to worry. You're, you know, you're definitely <laughs> going to be starting this season. Um, then, yeah, then, then he was being a little bit deceitful. Um, look, I, I know... I know the agent of, of one of the, the Manchester City players, uh, and he would, this was somebody who really wasn't sure about his future because he wasn't, you know, he wasn't somebody who started every single game. And you know, at the start of the summer, he was told by the Geary Stein, "Look, Pep likes you, and 
you know, he's not, he's going to give you every opportunity to impress uh, in, in training camp. And if you don't, if you're not up to a standard, I'm not going to lie to you. We may need to move you because you make a lot of money uh, and, uh, and bring in somebody else in. Now that never happened. That person's still there on the team and, and he's been playing. So you can probably figure out who it is uh, at this stage. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think, so I think it is normal for, for, for clubs to go and, uh, especially when there's a change in manager, to, to give assurances to players. The question is, was Hart given those assurances? Uh, if, if Pep told him, look, Joe, you're going to have to compete for your starting job with Caballero if you guys are equal, and then he picks Caballero, then, you know, I don't think Pep's done anything wrong. All right, we're furiously scribbling down names here trying to work out who you're talking about there, God. But listen, we'll leave it there. Brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. No worries. Timbuktu. Yo, listen up, here's the story. An old pump a little guy that lives in a blue world. We haven't got leaders. day and all night and everything he sees is just blue. They're all just headphones. Inside and outside blue heads. They don't communicate. You can't get anything out of them. That's why we're no good. Timbuktu. They're all just headphones. They don't kick out the pitch. They don't communicate off the pitch. They're all pumped. Oh, we're getting ready for Russia. Good luck. And then after that, we'll be building a team for Timbuktu. Timbuktu. How have England reacted to that equaliser? Perfectly. Um, no panic. Calm straight down. Continue dominating the game, playing and staying in Iceland's hearts. It's been the perfect response. You'd think that no problem. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really, Sigthorsson. Oh, oh my word. Oh. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened. Oh, we'll just say, Sigthorsson. <laughs> Your final thoughts on Joe Hartkin? Wish him well, wherever he goes. There's not that many places, though, is there? There's not not that many clubs. There's nobody on Manchester City's level. Mm-hmm. But you know, maybe that just maybe that's an indication of, of why Pep Guardiola wants to get rid of him. It's not as though, you know, if if uh, if Jose Mourinho was to come in and and say David de Gea's kicking skills make me laugh, uh, I've told him he can find a new club. Do you think he'd have a problem finding? Do you think he would have a, no. a problem? No, the whole of Europe would be falling over themselves to get David De Gea. Not the case with Joe Hart. That's why Guardiola's getting rid of him. Our Patiki Arrest podcast is out now. I'm still... I went to bed late last night and still couldn't believe what had transpired over the course of the day yesterday. But there was a lot of reflection on that anyway. It uh, it was titled He's Got a Ticket to Hide based on the best of our listener suggestions. But since we put it out, we did get a few others, including Brian Blessedmurf with Touts Amazeballs. Good, I, yeah, I like that one when it came in. And Odakti on Twitter. Apologies to these people if they got them O-Dockety. in. Odakti. if they I got this in, in advance, but uh, they uh, we missed them at the time, or I missed them at the time. Anyway, Odakati says, OCI know what you did last summer. <laughs> That's good. It's probably too late to retitle it, but... Oh, Doherty, you get a <laughs> late honourable mention, so yeah. I hope that's enough for you. Thanks very much, Murph. Thank you all, thank you, Ken. Thanks for uh, meeting, Thank Ken. you, Karen. thank you all. And we've got another Olympics podcast coming out later on this afternoon. That's Thursday afternoon.
What's going on? Is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys. 